Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. Our scripture today, Mark 10, 17 through 31. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Except, or why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, Go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard is it for the rich? to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up. We have left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers, or sisters, or mother, or father, or children, or fields for me, and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? 
Almighty and gracious God, we gather to hear your word read and proclaimed. And as we do so, O Lord, we pray that the gentle whispers of your spirit echoes in our hearts. We pray that your words will echo loudly in our ears and that in doing so that we hear the whispers in our hearts and the words in our ears and that our lives would be transformed so that we may leave this place not just hearers of your word, but doers of your word. In your son's holy name we pray. Amen. So what is the most important thing in your life? What is the thing or things that you hold most important? Do you have it in your mind? Let's do a gut check. Think now with me about three books in your life. Think with me about your checkbook, your calendar, and your Bible. Think about the things on your calendar, the things that you spend your money upon, and how much dust is on the cover of your Bible. Or how often the pages have been torn, have been, have been opened and turned so much and read through that the print is almost worn off of it. A few years back, I read a book called First Things First. It was by Stephen Covey. It was, you know, time management principle, how you can sort of order your life to do those most important things. And then later went to a seminar on the same subject matter. And I remember that sitting there, you walked in and there was a jar and a stack of golf balls and a stack of marbles and a pile of sand. And he asked for someone to come forward and said, all of this stuff will fit in this jar, make it happen. And so immediately the person raked all the sand in it, then started to jam all the marbles in it and then started putting the golf balls in and then having to really try to pack them in. And sure enough, it didn't all fit. And he smiled as if he knew the secret, and he did, he was the teacher. And so he sat there and he took another jar, the same, a different pile, all the same numbers, and he took the jar and he put the golf balls in first. And then the marbles, and he sort of shook it around a little bit and put all the marbles in. And then he put the sand on top and he shook it and the sand sifted down, put some more sand and the sand sifted down, and one more handful of sand and lo and behold, it all fit. You see, the lesson there was those things that are most important, we need to take care of and spend time on first. I think about this conversation that Jesus had with the rich young man, one of those classic conversations where Jesus is there in the marketplace and someone runs up to him and asks him a question and what we know about this man is we know that he was rich. We know that from the dialogue that he had with Jesus, that he followed the law to the letter. He checked all the boxes. And so maybe he came up wanting to know in his heart what he could do as a, as a question asked, how might I inherit to the kingdom of heaven? Or maybe he was just coming forward to be like that kid in the back of the class. You know, the one that knows all the answers and seems to think they know as much as the teacher does that asks questions that none of the rest of us get but engages the teacher. You know, you're sitting in algebra class and the student starts asking things about calculus just so that we can all go, wow. 
you're really smart. So maybe he came up to Jesus and he was asking that question sort of rhetorically thinking that Jesus was going to tell him, you got it, man. But instead, the answer he heard was not the answer he expected, was it? And what we know about Jesus's earthly ministry is it came to sort of turn the world upside down in a sense. So this man came thinking he had all the answers and had it figured out. And the answer Jesus gave him was not one he expected. Not one bit. Jesus said to him, said, I'll tell you what, you lack one thing. I'm sure his ears perked up thinking one, he had it all. But now he's like, oh, I've got one more thing to do. And then Jesus tells him that one thing. Sell everything that you have, give it to the poor and come follow me. And the text records that he went away sad because he had much and couldn't part with it. Now, see, this is where I get sort of frustrated with the text because I wish rather than walking away, the man would have said, no, wait a minute, Jesus, do you really mean everything? I really wish he debated with Jesus, not debated, maybe had more like dialogue with Jesus, had really this and said, Jesus, unpack that. Tell me what you really mean by this. Because what you ask of me, what you ask me to do, what you just said terrifies me. I am very anxious to do all of that, to sell everything that I have, to give it all away and to follow you. And I think if he'd asked that question, if he'd come back to Jesus with that, Jesus would have smiled that serene smile that I think Jesus smiles at me often. He might have even patted him on the back, chuckled a little bit and said, it should scare you. My dear child, what I'm asking of you should terrify you. It should be anxious because what I'm challenging you to do is I am challenging you to step out on faith, to go somewhere where you would not go on your own. I'm asking you to think bigger and to step out in a way that you've never stepped out before. See, yes, this text was about money in some regards, but it wasn't just about the good or the evil of money. It was really about the role that money played in this man's life. See, the man sort of worshiped, he sort of hoarded his money. He held it close to him. It was that important to him. And when Jesus asked him to give it up, it turned his world upside down. But if he had followed through, if he'd had those questions, if he had had that conversation, I think what we would have learned, the conversation was not so much about his money, but it was about faith. It was about being fully devoted to God. It was about living a faithful life. The conversation that Jesus really wanted him to have was one about faith and about full devotion and about faithful living. See, for you and me to be disciples of Jesus Christ, we've got to be followers. We've got to trust God. Jesus asked him to sell everything and trust God because he knew what the man's Achilles heel was. He knew what the man's fears were, and he knew that if he didn't challenge him, the man wouldn't be able to step out on faith. See, to follow Jesus means that we've got to go boldly out of our comfort zone in some place that we wouldn't choose to go on our own because we are now relying on God. 
It's no longer about us. It's because we've chosen to follow God and God has called us out somewhere where we can never imagine ourselves going. A life of faith is about admitting our own insecurities, about allowing God to take control and for God to be in control of our lives. When I used to teach confirmation classes, we would do this exercise, we called it the lifeline. It was about the power of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit was to be a guide in our lives. And so before the class began, I would take a hundred yards of builder's twine and I would wind it all through the churchyard, around trees and signposts and across the sidewalk and all over the front yard of the church. And the class would gather as a bunch of middle schoolers and they would gather together in a classroom. And one thing you know about middle schoolers is they are very self-conscious. They don't want to stand out. They don't want to be different. They really kind of want to mesh right in the middle of the pack and not be seen as anything other than normal. And yet they feel very awkward, very dorky, very out of place. And so you line them up and they're in this classroom and you say, now here's what we're gonna do folks, we're gonna do an experiential learning thing. You're gonna have to trust us. They're a little shaky now. And they would say, and we're gonna blindfold you. The anxiety in the room just went up 2000%. So we tie the blindfold on them and we line them up, put hands on each other's shoulder and we said, now we're gonna take you outside and you have to trust us. We'll give you instructions when we get there. So very carefully, we wind sort of the conga line of middle schoolers outside to the beginning of this pattern, this course laid out with this builder's twine. And we give them the following instructions. I'm gonna place you on the lifeline. Don't let go. Follow it wherever it takes you. You'll be safe. Trust me. Now at this point, they are petrified because they don't know if it's going to be as advertised or if somebody's got a pie or it's gonna make, make them some kind of a fool out of them, but they're there. And we take them one at a time from the group. There again, they've got their hands on each other's shoulders and we take the first one who essentially disappears from the crowd, put them on the line and repeat the instructions. Hold on to this, follow it wherever it goes. You'll be safe, trust me. And so they walk along and they, you know, they, they feel ahead a little bit, they find a tree and they follow the string around the tree. They're walking across the churchyard. Now, of course, what is happening in a small town is you see you youth out in the front of your church playing some kind of game of blindfolds. If you're passing by in the car, you think this is fun, so everybody honks their horns. Adds to the anxiety because the kids now know that there's a road out there somewhere and they're not sure where it's gonna take them. And they hold on to those instructions. So of course you get the last kid who is now by him or herself at the end of the line waiting for their chance to get on it. And they go through. So at the end of the exercise, they all take their blindfolds off and we ask them, what did you experience? These are the words they said. It was very scary. 
I didn't know where I was. I didn't know where I was going. I didn't know what was happening, but I remember the instructions. Hold on to the rope, follow it wherever it goes. I'll be safe. Trust you. This is when we came through the other door with them. How is that like following God where God may call you? One of them raises his hand and says, we don't always know where God's going to take us, do we? Another one says, it's kind of scary. And the third one, she says, but with God, we're always safe, aren't we? See, my brothers and sisters, Jesus asked the rich man and asked us, asked you and me to put our life on the line, to hold on to it, to follow it wherever it may go, because God is right there with us, saying, trust me, you'll be safe. I'm with you. But that was what Jesus was asking the man to do, to have that kind of trust, to have that kind of faith, but not just enough, to not just be, have the faith to step out where God was calling him, but then also to be fully devoted to God, where we can't let anything but God have ownership over our lives. See, in the lesson, Jesus asked the man to part with his money, and the man couldn't do it. He couldn't do it because the money and the thought of not having the money owned him. It was his biggest fear. Yes, it's an issue of trust, but more it's that issue of ownership. His money owned and consumed his life. But the lesson here for you and for me is that if we really want to trust, if we really want to follow God to experience the joy of the kingdom, then we've got to let God be the master of our lives and let that have the ownership of our hearts and our souls. God's love be what we focus on, to be fully devoted to experience the joy God wants for us, it must be about God in our lives. It must be about God and not our status, not our ego, not our stuff, not our jobs, but it must be God and God alone. Which leads us to this question. What prevents us from knowing and finding the joy that God wants from us and for us what prevents us from being fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ? Maybe it is our stuff. Maybe it is our ego, our status, our jobs. Or maybe it's the other distractions that happen in our lives. Sometimes we miss what's right in front of us. Maybe it's our cell phones. Maybe it's social media. They prevent us from really seeing the joy that God has around us. The other night I was at a restaurant with a friend having dinner and we were just sitting there chatting and I just kind of looked around, kind of marveling at where we were. I mean, it was, it was a nice restaurant. It was good food, just a nice place. But as I looked around a little bit more, I started looking at the tables around us. This family came in, they placed their order, family of four, and just as soon as the waitress had left after taking their order, you know what they did, don't you? They all reached in their pockets, they pulled out their phones, and they did this, just scrolling and scanning as if they were eating dinner by themselves, missing that moment, missing the one moment that mattered the most. And I wanted to stand up and I wanted to say, stop it, put the phone down. You're missing everything that's important. You're missing this great opportunity with your family because it's not going to be here always, right? 
Put it down. But so often you and I fall guilty of something like that, don't we? We get so focused on ourselves and our stuff, just like the rich young man, that we forget about God and what God has around us. We get to look around and see God in everything in the world, in each other, in our conversations, in creation. So it leads the question, if God is first in our lives, if God is what we want, if God, if we're like the rich young man, we really want to have this great one-on-one deep relationship with God, what is getting in the way? What takes our eyes off that relationship? Because not only do we need to have faith to trust God wherever God may be leading us, but we also need to be fully devoted to pay attention to see and not be distracted by the things right in front of us. And finally, if we do those things and it leads to that change in life that we want, this idea of faithful living. See, what God really was talking about with Jesus when he was talking to the man, his instruction to sell everything was partly about having faith partly about being fully devoted, but it was also a lesson in how to use the gifts we've been given to change the world. You know, if our mission as a church is to follow Jesus, make disciples and change the world, then we've got to figure out how to serve God, do we not? See, Jesus wanted him to find the joy in living faithfully by doing for others, by using the resources that God had given him and blessed him with to change the world for people around him. See, people that trust in God, that anchor their life in God, adopt a lifestyle of serving and service to others because it not only changes their lives, but because it changes the world around them. See, a life of service and giving brings that joy of the kingdom of heaven, that joy, that purpose that God has for each and every one of us. See, we serve a God in heaven that loves us just for who we are and says, there is great joy in my kingdom. And part of that joy is being in community and caring for each other. See, a life of serving becomes no longer about ourselves, but it comes about the people around us. And so rather than being inwardly focused on us, we're outwardly focused on the world. And at that moment in time that we really understand what it means to follow God and to answer what God has called us to do. I think of a couple of examples of folks who have sat at the seats of great power and have had the world at their feet. Presidents of the United States who, upon their retirement, could have gone into the corporate world or gone somewhere else or done something even more magnanimous to grab these great rewards and accolades for themselves, but instead they adopted a life of serving others. Jimmy Carter left the Oval Office and started teaching Sunday school again. I mean, think about this. Your Sunday school class is taught by the President of the United States. Wow. But it didn't just stop there. Though that Sunday school class, people lined up for hours before class to hear his Bible lessons. It was what he did with his hands, swinging a hammer and building homes for folks with Habitat for Humanity. Or George W. Bush, who retreated to his ranch, not to hide from the world, but to get it ready. And then he opened it up and he invited soldiers and their families to come and have respite and recover 
and to find a new way of life post their injuries. Two men who had had great opportunities and sat at great seats of power and yet humbled themselves to care for others because that's how they lived out their discipleship. So what would it look like for you and I to live our faith? To not only trust God, to not only be fully devoted, but to live our faith in the world around us. To care for those, the least, the last, and the lost. To be a listening ear, an open door. So take a moment with me, if you will. Think of that first question I asked. What's the most important thing in your life? What's the most important thing? What is that that you want to anchor your life on? Do you want a closer relationship with God? Is that what you want it to be? Where you walk hand in hand with God in heaven who loves each and every one of us. Do you want to trust God with everything, both the present and the future, and not worry about it? What priorities do we need to change to put God first in our lives, to find joy the way God wants for you and for me? And how can we serve God through this church so that we can make a difference in our world? You know, our vision statement is to loving God and loving neighbor downtown and throughout the region. What do we need to do as individuals and collectively to make that happen? Think with me back to those three books. Your calendar, your checkbook, and your Bible. How do we need to change the allocation of our time? How do we need to change the allocation of our resources? How do we need to dig deeper in God's holy word? How do we need to do those things so that we can do what Jesus asked? Because if our question is, how do I have a closer relationship with God? The world is going to turn upside down for us, is it not? This is the answer we'll hear. Trust me. Follow this spirit wherever it takes you. You'll be safe. Trust me. I'm with you every step of the way. And once we sort of step out on that step of faith, we find ourselves leaning over and wanting to fully devote our lives to God. And then we find the joy. The joy in that relationship and the joy in serving one another and the world around us. Three books. What changes will we make so that we can answer our Savior's question. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you'll consider joining us for worship on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock or Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9, or 11. Have a blessed day.